DoorDash helps you make cash fast. All you need is your bike and a smartphone. The sign-up process is super quick and easy. Now you get to choose your own hours and be your own boss. And best of all, you get to keep 100% of your tips. Download the DoorDash driver app today to get started. Hi, this is Allie Wentworth, host of Go Ask Allie. My listeners want more, so we are digging in. It's real, it's honest, open and unexpected, and sometimes amusing. He told me you chased him with a butcher knife <laughs> and tried to cut off his penis, but that's his version and everybody has a different Everybody version. has two sides of every story. Exactly. All new episodes of Go Ask Alley release every Thursday. Listen to Go Ask Alley on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Maddie and Kenzie Ziegler, and we have a podcast called Take 20. We want to kick back and hang out with you, but we know you're busy. So let's take 20 every week to talk, to vent, to get real. 20 minutes to catch up and talk about everything that's on our minds and yours. Listen with us for 20 minutes when you're in the car, putting on makeup, working out, cleaning your room, avoiding doing your homework. Take a break from whatever you have to do and hang out with us. Listen to Take 20 on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Record Store Society, a production of iHeartRadio. If you like something because you like it and that's all there is behind it, I think that means it's good taste, right? As long as you're being honest? I don't know, because, yeah, I don't know if we can say it's good taste. Well, I, that's but, the hard part, right? I guess, I guess that's what I'm saying, is that, like, there is no such thing as bad taste unless you're a liar. Unless you're saying you like something for completely ulterior motives that aren't real. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, hey, hi. Uh, Welcome to our record store. I'm Seth. This is Tara. Uh, uh, Feel free to look around and uh, just give us a shout if you need anything. Are you saying that the person is saying they like something just because other people do, in which case their music taste might be bad, but they're lying that it's good? I guess what I'm saying is that the only difference between good and bad is do you actually like this? Or are you just pretending to like this or hate this for the wrong reasons? Oh, yeah. 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 So I guess honesty makes good taste and lying makes bad taste. <laughs> I guess that's what I'm saying. I don't know. Cause, cause, that's I mean, tricky. Let, let's pick a band that... See, I, I don't like to talk ill about any music. I think all music I know, is good. Hard. So let's let's make up a no, band. We're going to make up a fake not. band. There's a fake band called right. Kitty Face. Okay. This is fake. Kitty face. There might be a real okay. kitty face out there, but we're not talking about kitty face. And let's say, hypothetically, that kitty face makes terrible music. I mean, for whatever reason that you personally think music can be bad, that's the kind of music they make, okay? Okay. The person who is kitty face's number one fan, if they genuinely love kitty face, I'm down with it, you know? Like... If if it's genuinely what you're into, I think it's good taste and I think it's fun. I, I think the yeah. the bad example, I think, is someone who pretends they like Kitty Face to get along with someone else or someone who hates Kitty Face only because everyone else does, you know? like Yeah. As long as you're honest with yourself, I guess it's good and bad taste. I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And it's subjective. It's all subjective. Absolutely. Well, um... <laughs> 
I, I guess it's that time month again. It's time for us to uh, do our album of the month club. And um, last month I had a really good time and I thought it was funny. So last month we, it was uh, Dracula and Freedy Johnston and mm-hmm. they surprisingly went well together. They both had yeah. sort of like a melancholy nostalgia thing going on. The two albums we picked this time, uh, let's see, I picked Song Cycle by Van Dyke Parks. And what was the one you picked again? Um, it's uh, Mary Margaret O'Hara, and the album is called Miss America. I feel like those two actually went together really well, too. They, they yeah. Bo- they both had, like, sort of an outsider artist being forced into, like, the, the mainstream and kind of rejecting it in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, they went so well together, like, almost eerily yeah. really well together. And then they were separated by, like, 20 years, because I think... Um, uh, Song Cycle came out in 67, and I want to say that that Mary Margaret O'Hara album came out in 88. Is that right? I actually don't remember. I think so. Because I, 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 when, I when I was doing some research on the uh, Mary Margaret O'Hara thing, well, actually, first of all, let's, let's decide. Sh- should we talk about Mary Margaret O'Hara first? Um, well, let's talk about Miss America first. Okay. Because last time we talked about... Dracula the first. The album that you picked first, yeah. Right. Okay. So so here's one of the things that really struck me about it. First of all, I loved it. And I had never heard it before. So like I was just, you know, that's fantastic. Anyone who gets yeah. to hear an awesome new album is that's great. You know, that's that's everything that I want in life. But one of the interesting things about this album to me is when I started looking into like, oh, wait, where is this from? And it's like, oh, this is her only album? That's strange. And then you keep digging around. And uh, I I think you told me beforehand that it's the sister of Catherine O'Hara, the awesome actor from Schitt's Creek and Home Alone and all those other fantastic movies, Beetlejuice and all that stuff. Yep. So I started looking into like, okay, so it was 1988 when this album came out. But the songs were actually recorded in like 83 and 84. And some of the songs were like written in like 1980 because apparently what happened was she kept kind of getting like bad matches with um, with different producers. Where she, I, I think that, that guy from XTC, what's his name? Andy Partridge? Andy. Oh, yeah, that sounds right. Is that it? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I like I read that, she, that that he was going to produce her album. And then like on like the first day, they were like, nope, bad fit. Get out of here. And they stopped. And then they brought in like another producer to help record. And then that didn't work out. So then like years later, she tried again and brought in a different producer. And like eventually they finally found one that worked. And then I guess what he did is he like went through and like um, kind of remixed and kind of recontextualized everything that they had already recorded. And then she just recorded brand new vocals over everything. And I think that's probably the key is her vocals, right? Like, um, here, I, I think we should play something in case anyone around the record store has never heard of this before. Uh, what 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 song do you want me to drop as like a little needle drop uh, um, example? I would say uh, Bodies in Trouble is probably her most popular. So Bodies in Trouble would be a good, good one to represent her with. Bodies in Trouble So that was Bodies in Trouble by Mary Margaret O'Hara from her 1988 album, Miss America. And that's the first uh, album we're going to be talking about today for the Album of the Month Club. It's a thing we do. Uh, if you all are unaware of this, basically once a month, uh, Tara and I get together and we uh, it's like a book club, basically, but for music. And that's, that's basically it. Each of us bring a record to the table. We listen to each other's uh, music and then we talk about it. So um, 
Mary Margaret O'Hara, where where did you first hear about this and what kind of hooked you into it, Tara? You know, it's weird. I th- I think Spotify actually recommended a song to me from it. And and I was like, "Oh, what is this? I am I really like this. It's interesting." And I googled it and I saw that Pitchfork had written this big piece about her. Mm. And the more I read it, the uh, more I read about it, I was just so intrigued. And I was like, oh, wait, this is the sister of Catherine O'Hara, right? And I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? Um, and yeah, I don't know. It has a, like a Kate Bush flavor vibe. And she also has a little bit of like Ani DeFranco. And then, um, I, I don't know, maybe some Emmylou Harris, yeah, it's just really interesting. She's a really interesting singer-songwriter. The lyrics were really powerful. Um, I could hear the passion in her voice. Mm-hmm. I just really liked it. Something just stuck with me, you know? For sure. And and, and you comparing her to Kate Bush and Annie DeFranco, it's funny because I wrote down things that it reminded me of when I was listening to it, too. She definitely has some Jeff Buckley vibes to her. Yes, yes, yes. She definitely 100%. has some um, PJ Harvey vibes to her. And actually, even though the voices are obviously not the same at all, I think kind of um, in a strange way, she has like some Tom Waits vibes to her too. I know sonically it's not the same, but I think kind of like thematically and kind of like structurally it is. that This one, uh, the song is called uh, Not Be All Right. And this one definitely reminded me of like, Tom Waits would do a different version of this in a different lifetime, and it would be amazing. And then, um, I obviously don't know the details about her. I've only learned about this woman like within the last week or so. But um, I guess she starred in a musical that Tom Waits wrote. And according to like all the reviews, she like stole the show and she was like the best part of it. I don't know any of these details. This is just something I read about that just sounded really interesting because Tom Waits is amazing. So the fact that she reminded me of him and the fact that they worked together and that it was apparently very, very successful sounds really cool. And then I always think about how like when it comes to things like live um, theater, like when it comes to musicals and plays and stuff. It's such a strange medium to me because it's so finite and it's so temporary and ephemeral. And it's just sort of like, oh, did you see that thing? Oh, no, I didn't. Well, it's gone forever now. Really? <laughs> like, you didn't, I don't know, record it or anything? No, that's not what it's for. Like, oh, I guess I respect that. But it's, 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 I don't know. I, that, that's, that's one reason why I've never yeah. really gotten into theater or live, live musicals or I, I don't know, all that stuff. It just seems, um, hidden in a weird way. It seems restrictive, maybe. I don't know. I huh. I, I would love for someone yeah. who knows musicals really, really well to come into our record store someday and kind of tell me about like what I'm missing. Cause I've I've seen a few, you know, like I've I've seen the big ones. I've seen uh, you know, Phantom of the Opera and Damn Yankees and Annie Get Your Gun and Cats and Stomp. Like, you know, I I've I've seen the ones that yeah. like everyone's heard of. But yeah. um, there are people who like know their shit and they're like, oh, you haven't seen Hades Town? What a noob. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> no, I'm the same way. I mean, I'm the same way that you are. Right. I've seen a lot of the popular or a few of the popular ones mm-hmm. um, live, but I've seen most of the famous ones on video or like on whatever TV re- recorded versions. Right, right. <laughs> um, 
And yeah, I have never really gotten fully obsessed with musicals like some people. I've never seen Hamilton and I don't know if I like really care to, yeah, but no, I respect I, it. I respect it, you know? For sure. No, I, and, and I think um, perhaps people like you and I are just missing something. There's something about, maybe, maybe it is you have to go to the live shows all the time. Maybe that's part of it, you know? I don't know, yeah. but 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 then every once in a while, kind of <laughs> like hearing about this uh, Mary Margaret O'Hara thing, where she did a Tom Waits musical, which sounds amazing to me. I'll hear about something like that, and I'm like, yeah. oh, is that why people love musicals? Because um, I, I have this one thing which is amazing, where um, uh, let's see, Stephen Merritt of the Magnetic Fields and the Sixth and all oh, the yeah. awesome bands, mm-hmm. he um wrote a musical version of the Neil Gaiman book Coraline. Now, this is completely separate from the stop motion movie. And um, I bought the cast recording just because I love Stephen Merritt so much. I I buy everything he ever touches. And I was really disappointed because it's sung by a bunch of people doing like, you know, Broadway musical style voices. I'm like, no, I want Stephen Merritt to do it, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And um, there's a series of albums in my head of albums that don't exist, but I wish I had heard. And that's one of them is Stephen Merritt doing his version of these songs. And uh, actually Stephen Merritt factors in a lot to music that doesn't exist that I I wish I'd heard. But anyway. Well, it's interesting that you're mentioning him because something that he does, and I feel like we're getting a little off on a tangent, but that's okay because I think it's interesting. (laughs) Something that he does is, um, I think it's the... 50 song memoir. Yeah. When he yeah. did that live, it's almost kind of like a musical. Oh, and it has did, like did a you go to that show? Set. Yes. Uh, well, I went to it at Big Ears. It was like two oh, nights, two separate nights. I, I went to um, that too. I, they did it at the Variety yeah. Playhouse and I went both nights yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it is kind of like a musical in a sense and there's a set and everything. And then you also have like the talking heads that do their whole thing. Yeah. And that was a Broadway show too, right? Mm-hmm, 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 but mm-hmm. those don't feel like actual musicals because there's no real acting involved. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah. it kind of is, but like you're getting a concert, but it's an album, but not like a full storyline. I don't uh, know. Well, okay. Well, I, I, do you know I, what I have, mean? I have something that I think will not only answer perhaps what we're talking about, but also tie back into Mary Margaret O'Hara's album here. Okay. I think perhaps the thing that I don't like about musicals, and again, I'm a complete noob about this. I don't know what I'm talking about. I would love to know more about musicals because I I genuinely don't know much. I think a thing perhaps I don't like, and like what you just said, like with like the acting kind of getting in the way of the music, (laughs) there's an element to traditional stage acting and particularly musicals that has that cheesy vibe that we were talking about before, perhaps overly earnest, perhaps overly sincere, where it seems false and it kind of makes us being cynical Gen X kids go like, eh, you know? It doesn't feel real, feels fake. But get this, there was a moment in this where there was, uh, in this Miss America album, where the guitar sound sounded once again very similar. It's like when we were talking about Freedy Johnston and like that 90s, like cheesy, yeah. earnest guitar sound. So I'm going to play a clip for you, okay? Ready? Okay. This is a Year in Song, and this is off of this album, Miss America. So that guitar tone... It's that same sound that we were talking about before with Freedy Johnston, where it's like 
this is that 90s 90s earnest sincere you can you can just picture the guitarist's face he has one foot up on the monitor he's really like straining <laughs> to like squinch his eyes shut and his like lips are like protruding because no, he's really feeling it no no those those 90s guitar sounds they don't put their foots on the monitors they, <laughs> they're just standing there looking miserable their 90s guitar plays like that that song though I'm, that is the song because when you mentioned that Jeff Buckley you're reminded of Jeff Buckley when uh-huh. you hear her sometimes. That's the song for me that right. reminds me of Jeff Buckley. And Agreed. it's wild. I'm so, I like for you to say that, I was like, wait a second, because I thought the same thing. But you know who's a huge fan of hers? Huh. Michael Stipe. That makes Michael sense. Michael Stipe. It, yes. And there's, I think, one of, I can't remember if it's this one that we're talking about now, this song or another one. It really reminds me of an REM song, kind of mm. has that feel and it has that 90s guitar. That also makes sense to me because Michael Stipe like loves Patti Smith like clearly more than anything in his life. <laughs> and she, uh, Mary Margaret O'Hara, definitely seems to have some Patti Smith vibes too. Because we, we haven't yeah. really talked about this yet, but it seems like at least the narrative that's out there in the world is that she was this person with a really interesting, cool, artistic voice, both literally and figuratively. And then like they tried to like, you know, put this on like a major label. I believe this was on Virgin and like, kind of like, I guess like shoehorn her into like the mainstream spotlight. And she seemed to just kind of reject it and not really be that interested in it. And so she just kind of tended to do things her own way, which turned out this really amazing album that I very much enjoyed this last week, but perhaps isn't what the studio wanted. And then she never mm-hmm. released another album. I guess she did like one yeah. soundtrack and a couple of EPs, but that's that's it. I Yeah, I almost feel like it's unfortunate. Of course, I wasn't there mm-hmm. in the room or anything, but it seems like it was the fault of not being paired with the right people because if you look at the time that this came out and the time that she recorded some of these songs and wrote these songs, 120 Minutes was full steam blowing and there was a lot of awesome music and it wasn't all super radio friendly. I mean, even like Sinead O'Connor um, before Nothing Compares to You was doing s- kind of similar-ish stuff. And she was pretty popular. Look at Suzanne Vega was kind of, kind of doing similar things. Um, who else? Uh, I don't understand how Mary Margaret O'Hara didn't make it like others have made it. I mean... Mm-hmm. Kate Bush kind of, yeah, does have this like cult following. Mary Margaret O'Hara has a very cult following, following right. less popular, more cult. Whereas Kate Bush is more popular, but also cult. I just don't really understand why some people have made it and she hasn't, or, you know, didn't back then because there were so many other things that fit. And, and also thinking of like Nick Cave, Mm. And so his career as being this storyteller with, you know, this kind of spooky voice. Um, he really loves her. I think, I don't know if they work together, but then also you think about Tori Amos and how she kind of does, I don't know. There's all these just sort of artists that are inspired by her who are kind of in that same realm as her. I'm doing this thing with my hands. It's like a giant <laughs> circle. And I feel like they all kind of fit into it like this bubble, but somehow she was, not very popular, not, you know, of course, like I said, she has this cult following, but then she's kind of disappeared. You know what I would love? And, and you know, I don't know her, you know, she, she, she's a woman up in Canada, you know? Um, 
I would love if she has had an extremely rich, extremely rewarding and fulfilling musical life. She just didn't share it with the rest of the world. Yeah. Like if she did just like play shows where she lives and do things with her friends and just had so much fun and really enjoyed herself, but just didn't worry about the actual commercial side of it and, and getting it out there into the public. Because um, yeah. her voice is so wonderful. It's so dynamic. It's so playful. She's just, it's, it's, um, it's one of my favorite things in music in general, which is just like um, that, that kind of like using your voice as a weapon, like not just as like an instrument, but like you can actually just like aim it and just kind of like do things and like attack and go soft and like this and there mm -hmm. and up and down and playful. And like, it, it's kind of the same thing um, that I love about Regina Spector, where it's just kind of that, that, that playfulness. And she definitely seems to have that too. And here, here's what I'm picturing. This is false. I'm making this up. My favorite tracks from this, I think the album gets better and better and better as it goes. I think it starts off great and it ends fantastic because the last three tracks are um, very, very, very jazzy. Uh, uh, for example, this is, this is my favorite track off the album. This is Keeping You In Mind. This is the um, third to last track, but all three of the last three tracks are all in this jazzy vibe. I picture her up in Canada, just hanging out at her local like jazz club. You know, she's got like her favorite pianists, you know, playing music for her. And she just performs like every Tuesday night and the locals know it and love it and go all the time. But she just, you know, it's just her thing. It's just her thing that she enjoys doing. That's made up. I don't know if that's, that, that can't be true. I made it up just now. But I hope that's true because that's like the narrative that I like for this story to make me feel happy. I don't know. Yeah, I have read things about her being misinterpreted as being like delicate, but she didn't think she was delicate. And, you know, maybe people were saying certain things about her or um, that she totally disagreed with. And I also heard that um, she just didn't want to be part of the public eye like that. So it could be just a matter of her not really pushing to be successful, just wanting to put out this album as like her, this is, you know, this is something that I felt at the time I wanted to create this thing. And so I created it. It took a long time and maybe wasn't perceived as what I thought other people would perceive it as, but I did this thing and I'm done now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I, I would love to read a book about this, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. where, where she was actually involved, like not just, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, a, you know, there's good 33 and a third books and there's bad 33 and a third books. I don't want a bad 33 and a third book about this. The ones where it's just some person making up the story being like, you know, here's what she's doing and just speculating like I've been doing, you know, I don't want that. <laughs> I want someone who actually to talk to her and, um, figure out kind of the entire like 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 the entire timeline of like these songs being written like eight years before they were finally released to the world and like what happened in the like three or four recording sessions throughout that decade that led to the final album finally being released like i i, I would I, it just sounds like an interesting story i'd love to hear it yeah yeah i would love to hear it also it's it's a good idea who's gonna pick it up we need to get our friend Matt LeMay to uh, pick up the book about 
marry Margaret O'Hara. I'm into it. I'm into it. He's got a connection with the 33 and a third people. Just go, hey, oh, yeah. I'm going to write my second book for you guys. It's Miss America by Mary Margaret O'Hara. And they'll go, all right, whatever. <laughs> We've just volunteered his time to write an entire book. Sounds good. So so you were saying you um, saw a Pitchfork review for this. So this was part of their thing where like, I think it's on Sundays, they revisit a classic album that came out before Pitchfork yep. existed, right? Yeah, exactly. On Sundays, they do reviews from past albums, which I think is really cool. Yeah, yeah. But um, it, this kind of just goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where, you know, you you hear an album for the first time and it's really interesting to you and you it, it just really touches you in a certain way. And then you want to share it with other people and they're like, this is terrible. How can you even <laughs> listen to this? Well, Pitchfork also gave this album an 8.5 which is really good for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I also just, when I first heard it, really loved it. But again, like when it came out, it was just so poorly received. I, I wonder what that could be. And and I'm, I'm sure part of it, obviously, um, when it comes to all criticism of art in general, is that it, it really doesn't have anything to do with the art. It has to do with the reviewer and the timing and the context and all that stuff. Like, um, Art being seen in a vacuum is really difficult, especially when it's your job to pour through art, you know, like it's your, it actually, let's bring it back to Matt LeMay for a second. It's yeah. like when Matt LeMay was saying how um, he likes music a lot more now that he's stopped being a music journalist because he doesn't see it as like an obligation that he needs to get through, you know? So, so yes. perhaps that's the better context for receiving and understanding and liking art is seeing it for its own merits on its own in a vacuum and not as you know, the next thing on your checklist. That's such a, that's so, that's a good point to bring up because, um, you know, I've just pulled up this article while we're in, while we're here in the store. And one of the very first, in the very first paragraph, it says she was made to feel irrational for pursuing this vision. Hmm. Um, and the process to get the album out was so grueling and she was so, emotionally and physically drained because she felt like she was bothering people with her own art. That's so sad. That is sad, but I definitely know artists like that. I'm sure you do too, where it's just yeah. folks who are endlessly talented, but they also, I don't know, like, like maybe, maybe it's just, just individual personalities. Like, yeah. I, I mean, like for example, for example, as um, a person who plays guitar, you know who, what I think is the most insufferable thing in the entire world? When you're at a party and someone <laughs> pulls out a guitar. <laughs> I was going to say, when you go to Guitar Center and like everyone around you is playing guitar for whatever reason, instead That's... of try actually trying out guitars, they're just trying to flex. But yeah. it's, it's, it's the same idea. It's the same idea. Yeah. It's like, as a guitarist, I hate most guitarists because there is something inside many guitarists, especially when they are like in a public social setting of just like, just waiting for praise. Like, oh, oh, you have a guitar here? Oh, well, I guess I'll just noodle around a bit. And it's like, nobody <laughs> wants that. I'm telling yeah. you, you know, like, yeah, you, you don't want that. We don't want that. Nobody wants that. We're all, we're all, we're cool, you know? <laughs> so, but that kind of thing of Self-awareness maybe leads, huh? Maybe, maybe self-awareness tends to create better art, but much worse marketing. <laughs> yeah. So when 
when I was just saying that about that first paragraph, for me, I related it back to a little bit of, um, you know, I've been wanting to make my own music as well, but mm-hmm. I don't know how. And I can start from scratch and it'll take me a long time to get there. I can ask for help, but I don't want to burden someone else with my own project. And mm-hmm. I don't want to become, I want it to be mine. I right. don't want someone to, to, I don't want to be someone's charity case. Mm. Oh, I helped this girl. I did my good deed. You know, assuming that whatever the person is, if it's a man, I don't want it to be like that. I want it to be all mine, my accomplishment. And I think, I don't know. I felt that from her story, but that's just because I was relating it to mine. Probably nothing to do with what she was experiencing, but. But yeah, no, I completely follow you. And, um, there is something in the history of music about that of like someone in the background actually pulling the strings and then someone is used as a face of a project. And that's no fun. I mean, I I presume, I mean, unless they're, unless the, the uh, person, I don't know why. No, I'm gonna take that back. (laughs) That can't be fun for anyone. Right. In the long term, that can't be fun for anyone because the person who's forced to be the face, they don't get any actual like expression. They don't get to actually say or do anything. And the person pulling the strings from the back, they don't get any like individual accomplishment. So they're going to keep feeling like unfulfilled from the back. So no, they, yeah, that's, that's no good for anyone. Yeah. Anyone in the world in that situation, stop. It's no good. (laughs) Yeah. It seems like she was like left to question her own art because of the reactions or opinions of these other people in the room. Yeah. Yeah. It's too bad. Capitalism really ruins art in general. Yeah. It's a a bad system. But also they're just doing their jobs because they're saying, well, like if this doesn't go well, we're going to lose a lot of money. So yeah. It does suck, but also they were just doing their jobs too, or what they thought was doing their jobs. Cause I feel like this should have been more popular. Yeah. But yeah, no, (laughs) that's the hardest part in general. I think about art writ large is that artists in general, let's, let's consider things to be pure capitalism and pure art. So not people who have a a gray area. Okay. So if an artist is making art, they are making it as an artistic expression and it feels good and it fulfills something either in the artist's soul or like they hope to kind of drag this out of their audience, one or the other. It's a pure artistic expression, ideally. A capitalist is attempting to make money. That That is their primary goal as capitalists, as businesses. So it has nothing to do with whether or not the art is good. It only has to do with, can it make money? And if you mm-hmm. want to make a lot of money, you want something that will appeal to the masses. And unfortunately, most people are dumb, so they want dumb things. So you're going to be making a lot of bad things and regurgitating it back into the audience again and again and again, because that makes the most money. And I'm not saying anything new. I mean, like, I, I trust me, I spent two years in business school before I switched to be an art major, and it was terrible. It was absolutely awful those, yeah. those spending those two years. And... um yeah, it's 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 just kind of it's unfortunate that because we live in a capitalistic society that is the goal. You know, the money is the mm-hmm. goal. So if you're making something that doesn't make money, it's just valued poorly. By 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 most. I think I think there is a a sector of the world that respects art for art's sake, but um it's not the the primary sector, 
you know? Yeah. And this actually makes me think now, I don't know if you've heard, if you've heard about this, but um, that super popular um, TikTok personality, Charlie, not Charlie, that's the Dunkin' Donuts girl. Um, you can say this, any name and I will have not okay. heard Okay, <laughs> well, I, for, I forget her name anyways, but that's okay because I don't want it to be a critique on this girl. Okay. It's, it's a critique on capitalism because, yeah, now we have this girl who is huge on TikTok, like millions and millions of views. And she has a song out now mm-hmm. and it's just, it, it does almost kind of feel like a slap in the face for someone who's been working to put out music for a long time, probably. And then you have someone like this, who's just been copying dance moves from other TikTokers and just has this like extreme fame from it. Yeah. Now putting out music and probably had never thought of doing a music career in her life. It's just, I don't know. It's frustrating. And again, like, I don't know. I haven't even heard the song in full. So this is not a critique on this person's talent. Maybe she is a great singer, but she got this opportunity and growth so fast that others don't have. And it's sad. Oh yeah. And, And if you think back on, you know, the history of popular music, it's happened a thousand times, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, again, we're not putting anyone down here. Right. Um, look at Paris Hilton, for example, Paris Hilton got yeah. popular for being a reality television star. Um, actually, no, I, I guess she got popular because she was Her an family owns hotels. Yeah. 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 Okay. But so she was popular for being the child of a rich person. Then she became popular for, um, being on reality partying. television. No, then she was, po- after that, she was popular for being a party animal with and what, the Kardashians. And when did the sex tape fa- factor in? Was that before she was popular or oh, during? I don't know. I have and no anyway, idea. No offense <laughs> to, to, to Paris Hilton. I'm sure she's a fine person. I've never met her. But she became popular because she is a rich, pretty person. You know, good for her. That's great. Yeah. Remember when that song, um, what was it called? Stars Are Blind. Stars Are Blind. Now, I actually really like this remix. Or there's a remix of it that I really like. It's a perfectly <laughs> fine song, you know? Um, yeah. Is it borrowing the chorus from The Tide Is High? Sure. But <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's an excellent song. I think it's very catchy uh, from a pure pop standard. Excellent. Way to go. Yeah. There's no way that song would have become a huge hit if it didn't come from the mouth of someone who was already very, very, very popular. And that happened yeah. again with uh, Kelly Osbourne. That happened again with, um, oh gosh, how many other like reality so stars turned pop singers are there? Lindsay Lohan. Um, there's a lot. Um, Hillary Duff, you know? I mean, and, and, and I'm not putting these people down by no means. If I'm in any situation and someone's going to let me live my dream, of course I'm going to fucking do it. Like, yeah. this is not their fault. They they should absolutely do this thing because why wouldn't you want to, you know? Like, yeah, of course. But it's the, yeah, but it's like the record company is making it, making more money off of them because yeah. of the other fame that they are they already have. Yeah. It's, it's got nothing to do with art. It has to do with yeah. like, you know, money. And and and, and eh. between the two, if I could only pick one, I'm I'm going to take art, you know? If 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 yeah. I can only have one or the other. I'm sorry for my anti-capitalistic tendencies. That's why our record store is going out of business. <laughs> <laughs> I do love a cheesy pop song sometimes, you know, even there was well, Jennifer Love Hewitt had one like yes, in so the yesterday? 90s that I loved. I it think was it was called So, so Yesterday. No, no, no. That was Hillary Duff. What was the name of the, of the Jennifer Love Hewitt one? I don't know, but it was great, right? I, I do remember, remember it. I do remember it. It was like a ballad, right? I don't even remember if it was ballad or not. I mean, actually, maybe wait I a didn't minute. love it that much. Wait a minute. Jennifer Lopez, 
Now, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Oh, no, no, I know. I'm, I'm talking oh, about Jennifer okay. Lopez now because I'm thinking about that era in music. Did Jennifer Lopez only become a pop singer because she was already famous as a choreographer? She was on In Living Color. Yeah, she was one of the Fly but, Girls. I remember that. But I don't know because I've also seen TikToks that she, that's not her voice, her singing voice. Jennifer Lopez, that's not her singing voice? <gasps> I've heard, I don't yeah. I don't know if this is like conspiracy theory, but I've heard it's like Ashanti or Shanice or somebody like that. Wow, it's all tying together. And, or someone yeah i don't know who but interesting yeah it is really interesting (laughs) and it's also interesting that we got here talking about mary margaret o'hara oh my gosh (laughs) well cool cool uh well here let's uh let's take a quick break and then we will come back and we're going to talk about van dyke park's song cycle The powerful new iPhone 13 Pro is here with the most advanced camera in an iPhone. And T-Mobile is the place to get it. This new cinematic mode turned my travel videos into a filmmaking masterpiece. Get the most out of your new iPhone on America's largest, fastest 5G network. And posting. Whoa, that was fast. And now you can get iPhone 13 Pro on us with eligible trade-in and plan and upgrade forever. So I can always have a new iPhone? Yep, forever. Lock in the trade-in value of your new iPhone up to 800 bucks every two years for your next upgrade. Get iPhone 13 Pro on us right now and upgrade forever only at T-Mobile. With Max Plan and on us now via 30-monthly bill credits for well-qualified buyers plus tax. Contact us before canceling service to continue credits on current device or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement is due. Fastest based on average overall 5G speeds according to Open Signal Awards and USA 5G User Experience Report July 2021. See T-Mobile.com. This episode is brought to you by The Last Duel, a film by Ridley Scott, director of Gladiator. Witness the true story of one woman who defied a kingdom and made history. Starring Academy Award winners Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, Academy Award nominee Adam Driver, and Jodie Comer, who gives a performance critics say will be remembered come Oscar time. The script was written by Academy Award nominee Nicole Hall of Center, as well as Affleck and Damon. The Last Duel, now playing only in theaters. I asked what kind of family she wanted. She said, a family like yours. Learn more about adopting a teen at AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Okay, we're back. Uh, we were just talking about Mary Margaret O'Hara, um, Miss America, and now we're going to talk about Van Dyke Park's song cycle. Um, but but I, I, I've been wondering, what did you look it up? What is the name of that Jennifer Love Hewitt song? Yes, it's from 1999. It's called How Do I Deal? Wow. Man. And it was for the I, I Still Know What You Did Last Summer soundtrack. Of course. See, now like, there it is again. Mm-hmm. It's like... It wasn't on some soundtrack to a movie she wasn't in. It was on the soundtrack exactly. to the movie she was in. And the, like The sequel to the movie she was already in. So yeah, they were like, well, this is a blockbuster hit last time. This time, let's hey, you actually want to make a song for it? Cool, go ahead. Exactly. Or, or perhaps her agent said, oh, you can have Jennifer Love Hewitt back if <laughs> she gets a song oh, on yeah. the soundtrack. Yeah. And, and again, l- let me just double down. I'm not putting any of these people down. I, I would do the exact same thing in every single one of their situations. It's smart. If I'm given the opportunity to be like, hey, Seth, um, you want some automatic 
you would do you want an automatic audience for the music you make, whether it's good or bad? It's like, yes, great. You got it's, it. It's smart. It's smart. From a money-making standpoint, I totally get it. Also, from a money-making standpoint, song cycle. <laughs> so Song cycle. Uh, let's, let's play a little clip first. Um, yeah, this is a 1967 album. It's Song Cycle by Van Dyke Parks. So here's how I came across Van Dyke Parks personally. I'm sure a lot of people have these stories that are very similar. Uh, In 2004, Brian Wilson Presents Smile came out. That was that time when he like recreated the Smile you know, failed, uh, whatever, perpetually bootlegged, put on a shelf, uh, Beach Boys album, Smile. Um, so he finally finished it as a solo artist in 2004. And uh, I just got obsessed with it. I loved it. I, th- I thought it was really, really amazing. And um, so I just did all kinds of research on it. You know, I watched the documentary, I read a couple books, um, just dug deep into it, made my, like, my own bootleg versions of the original Beach Boys um, uh, uh, version. Like, you know, just whatever. I got very into it. And one of the main things that came across was uh, this this strange little man named Van Dyke Parks, who was in the documentary and always being mentioned. And um, yeah, he was like the main lyricist, I believe, for all of Smile. And then was just kind of involved writ large with just like the entire creative process. And I was just fascinated by this dude. I didn't really know much about him. I just knew that he was the guy that was friends with Brian Wilson that helped him out during Brian Wilson's like most creative peak and also kind of his like strangest and kind of most fun peak, which was Smile. Um, then not long after that, in 2006, uh, Joanna Newsom put out one of my top five favorite albums of all time, as we've discussed before, East. I love Joanna Newsom's East. And quickly I learned um, that the strings arrangements, and um, I, I guess he was also a producer on it, of East was, again, Van Dyke Parks. And I'm like, man, oh man, this guy, like he is only associated with the best. So I started kind of digging into his own personal um, discography and found like all of his albums. And this album, Song Cycle, his debut, really put its hooks into me. And I, I really, really, really have been enjoying it um, ever since I first heard it way back, I don't know, 15 years ago. So um, this was your first time hearing it, correct? Yep. Uh, please first tell time. me, what, what were your first... What were your first thoughts? What, what what are your instincts? Man, when I first heard this, I was like, all right, we're starting out with a little bluegrass banjo moment. And then it, you know, a minute in changed yes. totally, drastically. But it was the same song still. Yes. I was like, hold on, what? What just happened? Because I wasn't looking at, you know, I was listening to this on Spotify, so I wasn't watching the Spotify. I was just Mm -hmm. listening to the music. And so I went back and I was like, hold on. That was not an intro. That was a song that just changed totally after a minute. It's so strange. So um, if folks haven't heard this, this is track one, Vine Street. And what happens is um, you uh, the, the the record starts, 
And it's just a quick fade in, not like a tactical good fade in that you would do on a real song, a fade in as if you had like just turned on a stereo and there's this bluegrass song, like you said, playing. Yeah. And then it just kind of like fades out, like as if someone has like turned off a stereo and then Van Dyke then, Park's yeah. lyrics come in and he's like explaining what that was. He's like, but, that was me, third guitar, <laughs> you know? Like, but then, yeah, but it's like... A show tune standards song after that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of which, back to our conversation about um, show tunes, musicals, and and live theater and all that kind of stuff. Van Dyke Parks actually wrote an entire musical about the Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Bear, like, you know, Song of the South things. Oh, no. He wrote that? Well, not not the one for the Disney movie. Okay, good. This is based on the original folklore. Good. And um but it's called Jump and I absolutely oh. adore it. So, when I was listening to this album before I even looked him up on Wikipedia, I mm-hmm. was like, why does this album remind me of Bedknobs and Broomsticks? Like I feel like this album is Bedknobs and Broomsticks but in music form mm-hmm. cuz you know how it's just like in Bedknobs and Broomsticks it's um real life and it's like the British versus the Nazis. And then it changes to cartoons and shit. And they're floating in a bed and I see all these crazy things happen and go by. And I'm just like cartoons and circuses. And this album for me was that like wartime era cartoon circuses, Italian gondolas at some point, (laughs) funny noises, lots of instruments, like extremely layered arrangements of just, I can't even imagine making this in real life. It seems very complicated. Oh, for sure. And it, 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 um, but first of all, what an amazing analogy (laughs) is this (laughs) movie is the experience of the film Bedknobs and Broomsticks. I fully agree because it is, it's rapid fire. It's confusing. It's historical. It's cartoony. It's, it's everything. Um, which is even funnier because apparently the original title of this album was going to be Looney Tunes. Right. Like what the, but also song cycle really fits too, because you're cycling through all these moments of these songs. Oh, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. I've been waiting to talk to you about this. So I read his Wikipedia on this album and I saw that it was produced by Lenny Walronker. Isn't that ridiculous? Okay. We have talked about the Walronker family in this store before. Yes. Joey Walronker is the session drummer for both Beck and R.E.M. Right. Plus he's played with Adams of Peace, which is like, you love them. Mm -hmm. And then Anna Walronker is the daughter of Lenny Walronker, who's the sister of Joey Walronker also. And she was in like one of my favorite bands in high school who I've talked about was one of my favorite live shows. Um, That dog. Wow. The Walronkers. Um, Yes. And to go even further, she's also married to uh, one of the guys from the Melvins and Red Cross, which is more just like totally my world. Grunge music. The mom is, I forget her name, but uh, she was on the monkeys. Oh, wow. I know. And Batman and just like the um, beach party series, which I think is also another Brian Wilson situation. Wow. Beach Boys moment. Interesting. It, it's so layered of like this family, this this Hollywood family. Well, actually, I think they're from New York. I can't remember. But anyways, it's just this, you know, famous musical family. 
encompasses like our whole, like your and I whole, our whole existence. Yes. <laughs> and music. And it's just crazy to me. I'm going to need I to look mean, into this wall rocker family <laughs> tree because yeah, like, like their, their names keep coming up and actually probably kind of like with like Van Dyke Parks. I don't know what the wall ronkers have done or not done. They just keep coming up in everything it's that we talk weird. about. It's so super weird. I, in, in my impression right now, the wall ronkers are just a big family full of Van Dyke Parks's and John Bryan's. And they're just this, the people behind the scenes making all these awesome things that we enjoy. So I, I got to well, find this family tree and really dig into it. Okay. So I, I pulled a quote from this other article that I found which really blew my mind. Okay, this is going to take me a while to get there, but I think all of it is really interesting. Okay. Um, Van Dyke Parks was part of this sort of like LA weird guy crew, which Harry Nielsen was part of, Randy okay. Newman. And um, yeah, Harry Nielsen, Randy Newman. I feel like <laughs> there's another one. Weird guy crew, I, of course. It's the weird <laughs> LA crew. Yeah, yeah, I feel like there's another one I'm totally leaving out. But anyways, this guy wrote about them and he said, this, the person wrote it when it was 2012. Um, at the time he was 29 years old. He said, I'm 29 years old. My sense is that Newman and Nielsen are overlooked by my generation, not just because they seem like our parents' music, but because they seem to be part of this big, vague Hollywood system of entertainment. And I was just like, this really struck with me because of this whole like Warunker thing. Mm-hmm. And how even now we we're talking about music that we love and these people are involved, this giant family. Um, and how, I don't know, just thinking about how, oh, oh, it was a uh, Ry Cooters, the other LA weird guy. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just really weird and interesting. And oh, we were going to go back and talk about how this album probably cost way more than it should have didn't sell very much. Right. Yeah, we, we, the- we mentioned this briefly. Um, we were talking about uh, top five debut albums here in the record store the other day. And um, this was my number one of my top five debut albums. And yeah, yeah we, we mentioned this briefly, but I guess we should kind of like drop these facts again. <laughs> so it was extremely expensive for the time. It took way longer than it was supposed to for the time. Um, Van Dyke Parks basically was disappointed that the music scene in America was so influenced by like the British invasion that had been happening for a while. So he wanted to make a contemporary for 1967 album, but using only like deep American genres. So um, yeah, bluegrass, ragtime, oh. show tunes, etc. Yeah. And, and so then um, because he was working on the Beach Boys Smile at the time, Warner Brothers was like, oh man, this guy, he's going to put out like another like pop genius album, like the Beach Boys. We got to get this guy. <laughs> so they they got him. They, 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 they gave him all the money and all the time to make this wonderful album. And then when he brought it to them and brought it to Warner Brothers, it was like, all right, here's my album. It's called Song Cycle. Um, the, the, the whoever, the A&R man, the head of Warner Brothers, who knows, listened to it and went, it's called Song Cycle, right? And then Van Dyke Park goes, yeah, 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 yeah. They goes, well, where are the songs? <laughs> and that's the story of Song Cycle in a nutshell. It's it's kind of genius, though, in a way, that he wanted to make something so American like that. And I think he does a really good job of it. It's oh, just, yeah. yeah, they're not songs that you would... It's not like hearing a Carpenter's song where it's like, every sha-la-la-la, whoa-whoa. Like, it's not a melodic moment. It's... It's all over the place. It's very dense. Does, yeah. Yeah. 
but he does exactly what he said he was going to do. Yeah, hundred percent. And and like to a fault. Like personally, I love this, but it's not regular listening. And I mean that like in the way that like it's dense, it's complex. It um it's it feels a bit like an avalanche or like a or yeah. like something falling down the stairs where it's like that's well, probably more like that like you Looney can't Tunes stop style. this it's just it's yeah. just going and it's and here's nothing this album is barely longer than thirty minutes I think it's like thirty two minutes it feels sure. so much longer than that and I mean that as a compliment just because yeah. there's so much content in it. Um, th- this isn't going to surprise you, but Madlib has sampled a song off here before. <laughs> oh wait. Do you know what's so funny is just then when you said Mad Lib, I thought of the like comic, like the fill in the blank thing because oh, it's because right. of how silly sometimes it feels. Yes. I yeah. immediately went to Mad Magazine and I immediately went to Mad Lib, like the fill in the blank thing, not the hip hop thing. Yeah. Well, actually, speaking of how silly he is here, I'm actually going to play you a, a clip. This is from a yeah. um, Van Dyke Parks live show. And this is him just like, basically having some banter between songs, okay? But I think this shows how silly of a, of, of a dude he is. Uh, because, um, as my mother so conveniently noted, I put my retirement before my career. So some of you may never have heard of me, but I would like to put it in my a- agent's language because I now have, am basking in the anonymity I sought and apparently so well-deserved. I'm just going to tell you that my agent put it this way. This is the arc of an artist. And let us remember a moment away from the levity. In the second verse, Vic Chestnut wrote these thoughts. There is no shelter in the arts. I salute that man's incisive understanding of what it takes. But here's an artist's career arc, according to my agent. Who's Van Dyke Parks? Get me Van Dyke Parks. Get me a young Van Dyke Parks. Who's Van Dyke Parks? So, I'm Van Dyke Parks. Two more tunes. Let's do this. So yeah, he's, he's a dude with a sense of humor. He's a dude that like, he knows that he's kind of funny and he leans into it and like you can you can tell that sense of humor is in his music and that frivolity and like you can tell there's genius in there too but it I, I, that's a, that's an odd combination kind of a dangerous combination which is like genius and funniness i don't know like i feel like frank zappa kind of had that too where it's like oh you're obviously very very smart and you're kind of funny and so like it turns into a weird concoction. It's 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 an it's an odd mix when a musician is both very smart and very funny. Yeah, I. So I actually read another quote that he said. I think it's from the same show. I I don't I'm not sure, but um, he says we're here to celebrate anonymity, what Faulkner called the authority of failure, and it's like he's saying almost. He's failed, but like he doesn't like no one knows that. Yeah. Right. Like because he doesn't know who he is almost. Right. But I think that's so sad because especially if you look at how much he accomplished despite even this album. Mm-hmm. But so many people were already inspired because of this album. He he worked with, like you said, um, Joanna Newsom, 
Ringo Starr, U2 Grizzly Bear, Kimbra, Silverchair even. Yeah, uh, um, even uh, Skrillex like, on his uh, on yeah. Skrillex's like super popular album. I think it's called Bangarang, I want to say. Like the one that really broke Skrillex into the world. Van Dyke uh-huh. Park's produced on that album. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. yeah um, he, he has an um, amazing, amazing album with Inara George called An Invitation. Uh, if anyone, yeah, Inara George. If anyone in this record store likes Joanna Newsom's East and wishes there was something more, something that's very similar to it. Uh, yeah, look up uh, An Invitation by Anara George. Uh, another one he did really recently, this one came out in 2019. Um, he was a songwriter, a composer, and an arranger on the new Gabby Moreno album called Spangled, and it's also wonderful. I mean, he's he is so great. Um, earlier, when you were talking about Los Angeles weirdos and yeah. the little crew they're running around with, Another thing, um, again, making this whole picture just big and muddled, um, Van Dyke Parks and Harry Nielsen were the ones that wrote all the songs for that Popeye movie, okay? Remember that live-action Popeye mm-hmm. film? Yeah. And then those songs were used by John Bryan in the soundtrack oh, no. <laughs> to uh, Punch Damn Drunk it. Love. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It comes back always. Okay, I'm about to... Bring it back to another one, uh-huh. too. Another one of our favorites. Uh-huh. But I just real quick wanted to say, again, another moment. It's like, yes, his album cost probably a ton to make, and it didn't sell very much. But he like also uh, wrote a song, I think... He wrote a song that Sinatra ended up using that sold like a million copies of or something crazy like that. So he's made this record company, a ton of record companies, a bunch of money. So mm-hmm. it's like, who cares, dude? Like you have done so much. Who cares about the record label when your one album came out? Like that's such a small thing, you know? Yeah. Compared to his great success. But I just wanted to say, um, I read a little bit that he was super critical of the whole like flower power movement and Woodstock. Mm. Because he was saying that, you know, obviously I think he was in agreement with a lot of it at the beginning, but he said that rock became a corporate classification. And that to me felt so sonic youth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, I got to always bring it back to sonic youth. But Absolutely. yeah, he was, uh, he was just against this whole like, corporate music machine. Um, but also refer- a big part of it. It's strange. Like, yeah. That, yeah. He was very much in there with a lot of mainstream musicians, but he somehow felt the need. And I guess he, he had the ability to stay slightly outside of it, which is, which is odd, which is very odd. Mm-hmm. Congrats. And yeah. then, again, it, 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 this mirrors what we've been saying about Mary Margaret O'Hara too. Like, so, someone who does, who has incredible talent and just kind of doesn't really fit into this mainstream picture of the record industry and making lots and lots of money and all that stuff. But still people love them, you know? I mean, art is great and people love art. So they're going to get attention and they're going to get love. Yeah, I I think it seems like, and this uh, was actually a similar quote in that same uh article about LA weirdos that it was almost like the labels didn't see them as those money makers, even though I think probably they thought they would have made more money out of, uh, 
Van Dyke Parks with that album. It seemed like they, um, their attitudes towards these guys, Randy Newman, Van Dyke Parks, Rye Cooter, and Harry Nilsson, was kind of like a parent's attitude toward gifted children. Hmm. <laughs> and I was wow. like, that makes so much sense to me. Like, give them the freedom to doodle and to be themselves because they don't necessarily need any help. They are already great. They're doing all these wonderful things. They're maybe a little weird, Mm -hmm. but they're not going to fit this into this perfect box. Like maybe someone else would, but they're not, not worth our investment. Right. No, that's interesting. And it, it also, it makes me think of a tool I try to use whenever something is befuddling me in like a lane where I live, you know, where it's like, okay, I, I'm, I, I do music stuff all the time. It's like the world I'm in. So sometimes when things don't kind of gel like in my head, like, wait, why wasn't this more popular? Why didn't, why doesn't everyone talk about song cycle every day? Cause pe- people who know it, they love it, but it's not something that's kind of out there in the world. Um, Think about a popsicle factory, okay? Like, it's just random thing off the top of my head. There is a genius at the popsicle factory who makes the world's best popsicles. And they go up to him and he's like, oh man, y'all are going to love this. It is a um, sesame oil, umami, mushroom tip, whatever popsicle. And it's the best thing you've ever tried. And they're like, all right. So they try it. They're like, yeah, you're right. This is good. And they're like, great. Are we going to sell this? They're like, People like cherry. Can you make us a cherry popsicle? Like, no, 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 no. Mushrooms and umami flavors with with, yeah. with sesame oil. And it's like, people don't want sesame oil mushroom popsicles. They want cherry. Can you please just make a cherry popsicle? <laughs> like, that, yeah. that's that's kind of what I'm picturing. And I, I think that metaphor applies to everything. Uh, that, that, yeah. uh, that applies to car manufacturing. That applies to shoes. That applies to, um, you know, uh, I, I, I pro- probably um, landscape design, <laughs> our architecture. Yeah. I bet every art form has that thing where someone is like, no, 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 no. This is better. This is the best. And then someone else goes, yeah, but the people want this. Can you please just give us this thing that everybody wants? And that's that question again, back, back, back from between capitalism and art. And uh, I I feel like in our album of the month club discussions, we raise a lot of questions, but we don't actually answer anything. That's true. (laughs) But we leave, we leave thinking about things a lot more deeply. And I, I don't know. I think that's another good thing about music. And actually we were just thinking, we were just talking about how like, you know, the whole give me cherry thing. Yeah. Uh, poor Brian Wilson, man. A tortured genius putting out these pop songs that people adored and loved. And he wanted to do weird stuff. He wanted to. Yeah. And and, and um, on the bright side, we did get some of that art. And that art is some of the best art that exists, you know? Yeah. Did you ever see that uh, Brian Wilson movie, uh, Love and Mercy? It's the one that, um, let's see, John Cusack plays old um, Brian Wilson and Paul Dano plays young Brian Wilson. Yes, yes, yes. I've seen that one. It's so good. Next time you watch it, keep an eye out because an actor playing a young Van Dyke Parks is in that movie. (laughs) And it's very funny. It's the scene where um, 
I believe the Beach Boys are trying to have a meeting, but Brian Wilson won't get out of the swimming pool. And like Van Dyke Parks is just like hanging out like by the side and he's just like, I want to have a meeting, <laughs> you know? And like they're all trying to ignore Van Dyke Parks and the other Beach Boys are being jerks to Van Dyke and it's yeah. hilarious. It's it's really wonderful. <laughs> Man, uh, he he's really interesting. His life was really interesting. There's like, ther- you know, when I, whenever I hear a theremin, I definitely think of the Beach Boys now. Yeah. Although um, someone once told me that that's not actually a theremin. Because a, a while what? ago, I made a comic about that recording session for um for uh, Good Vibrations. You know, that the... Yeah, my whole life is a lie if that's not real. Someone once told me, because in that comic, I talked about how much money Brian Wilson spent specifically on that theremin <laughs> and um what here I'll, I'll i'll actually i'll post this comic on our discord so you can see it okay. but but anyway but i remember someone looking at it and going like no nah, that wasn't the theremin that was a this and i'm like i i don't know anything anymore what do i know i don't know anything anymore either i'm what i'm so confused i'm so lost now yeah. who am i um i just wanted to say like i think I heard some theremin on this album as well. And then I also read that Parks was one of the first owners of a Moog, Moog or Moog, whatever camp you are in, uh, synthesizer uh, prototype, which is really cool. And he made a bunch of experimental like jingles for car ads and stuff. <laughs> I love it. That's so cool. So interesting. Yeah. Man, loaded history. Yeah. Just full of crazy facts. Man, we, 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 we found some really... Good, uh, good albums this month. I'm, I'm into it. I, I, I love that they yep. accidentally went together again. And yeah. um, who knows next time? You know, so that's 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 two months in a row we have accidentally made choices that complemented each other very well. Can we do it a third time? I don't know. We'll we'll find out. <laughs> next but, time you hear an album that no one else likes, it might be some real art. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people are talking about how that. Um, Black MIDI, that new Black MIDI song, mm-hmm. is sounds crazy. Oh, I love but it. I'm into it. I, I'm, I'm here for Black MIDI. I think- it's so weird and layered, and it makes me feel uncomfortable that I am interested in it. I think the know? video really helped me enjoy it. Did you see, did you see the video? Yes, it was such a Danny Elfman vibe. And then like the giant baby that like broke out at the end, and like oh, there was a lot happening in that video. If people haven't seen it, I recommend the new. Uh, well, actually, speaking of recommending things. There you go. Let's take a little break. We'll split up. We'll grab our uh, recommendations for the uh, uh, employee recommendation shelf, and then we'll close up for the day. Let's do this. If you're a predator, you can see things that other people can't see. So you can be stalking someone and they would never know it. My name is M. William Phelps. For the past 20 years, I've been immersed in the world of true crime as a New York Times bestselling investigative journalist and host of the true crime podcast, Paper Ghosts. Now I'm hosting a new weekly podcast from iHeartRadio, Crossing the Line. Get ready for the uncensored truth, interviews with top experts, and stories of the missing and murdered you have not heard anywhere else. I mean, he was the master manipulator of coercive control. Every time a case is solved, it gives the people that are close to the victim a little bit of hope that answers will come someday. It turns out that the dead guy worked out at the same gym. 
Listen to Crossing the Line with M. William Phelps on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Peace to the planet. I go by the name of Charlemagne the God. My mama calls me Lenard McKelvey. See, I thought I just had a face for radio, then some good white people at Comedy Central gave me a new TV show called The God's Honest Truth. Won't God do it? And you know they couldn't contain my blessed black and highly favored ass to just 30 minutes once a week. Nope, I'm delivering extended sermons straight into your ears like a dollar store Q-tip. Plus, the check already cleared so I can say whatever the hell I want. Like, cracker ass cracker. See? Listen to The God's Honest Truth on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Shalomani Duenya. I'm Jacob Scott Thomas Bertrand, and this is the Lone Globos Podcast. Every week, we just shooting from the hip, talking about everything and nothing at the same time. Including topics like uh, what people think about Latinos who don't speak Spanish. <laughs> Basically, what he said was, oh, you're a Mexican that doesn't speak Spanish. That's like a taco with no salsa, like a taco with no flavor. Oh, like- dang. She took that and was like, this was a year ago, and I didn't get accepted. Through time steps and everything, and the email of her not getting accepted, and then a year later, exact design was on, like, a converse that you yeah. can buy. Yeah. And she was like, this is so messed up. Because like, you can't do anything is- about it. Well, yeah, but she but she put on, it blew up. Right, exactly. It started off as, like, this posh, you know, online Soho. Oh, it's for entrepreneurs. Only- <laughs> it got to the point where I was like, what, are you, what room are you in today? Like, what are you guys talking about? And he's like... This one is just a bunch of people making helicopter noises. See, I was always way faster than my mom, so she would never be able to jack me. <laughs> Listen to Lone Lobos starting September 21st. It's a part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we are back. And one last thing we have to do before we close up for the night, uh, we have to do the employee recommendation shelf where we just put something up that we're enjoying right now, something music related. Uh, let's see, Tara, hit us with it. What's what's your what's your recommendation today? Holy moly, this album Promises by Floating Points and Pharaoh Sanders is incredible. deceased i it's i'm i can't even talk about it it's so great please listen to it i I haven't heard it yet so i'm excited about this so good (laughs) i recognize all these words you just said but i don't have any 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 picture associated with it Uh, is this a contemporary album it's jazzy but I mean, like, did it just come out recently or is it oh, older? Oh, yeah. Mm. Sorry. Yeah, it's new. Sorry. I think you said I that. That's what you meant by contemporary. <laughs> I was like, thought you, thought you were talking about, like, genres. I was like, uh, it's jazzy. Are there any closed hi-hats and rapid succession on it? No. <laughs> that's, no. What I, that's what I picture with, with, like, the modern sound of music is a closed hi-hat played irrationally fast. Just... Like, like 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 that that trap hi hat sound that's or like drum and bass or something yeah 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 that 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 is the sound of modern music to me right now and I'm wrong <laughs> I'm definitely wrong <laughs> um, uh, excellent I'm looking forward to this I want to hear it um, I, I I've I've heard of these artists I believe I've even heard of this release but I've not actually heard any of this music yet so hooray that's oh, great yeah, yeah. It, uh, which kind of jazz is this is this instrumental jazz or vocal jazz. Uh, leaning on the more experimental side for sure. Cool. Cool. But 
my question was instrumental or vocal. There's vocals, but it's not the vocals that you expect. Okay. okay That's all I'm going to say. You're being intentionally coy and I appreciate that. I will. I'm looking forward to it then. Nice. Okay. For mine, uh, I'm going to pick uh, a band I love. They just dropped their brand new album, I, I think like a month ago. Um, this is the brand new Shushu album and it is called Oh No. The thing I really dig about this album, well, first of all, I dig all Shushu. I think once you're in deep enough to Shushu, they can't disappoint you. They they are just an amazing band uh, for me. I've, I've been indoctr- indoctrinated. And um, this one in particular is very, very interesting because it's an entire album of duets. Every single track has a different featured artist. So uh, Sharon Van Etten is on one song, and uh, Greg Sonje from uh, Deerhoof, and um, uh, uh, Liars, what's his name? Angus. Angus from Liars is on there. Uh, Liz Harris from Grouper is on there. Twin Shadow, uh, Chelsea Wolf, Owen Pallet. Um, so many amazing artists. And um, each track just has a kind of a slightly different vibe because each track has a different duet. And sometimes you can tell and sometimes you can't. Like sometimes it's they're, they're, they're perfectly like ingrained within the, the sound. And sometimes it's extremely obvious that this is like a featured new sound being influenced by this uh, collaborator. So uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. It's the new Shoo Shoo. And in fact, I recommend all Shoo Shoo. Uh, and also <laughs> I believe they do a, uh, a Cure cover on this album as well. What? 100 Years? Which one? Is, oh. that a, is that a Cure song? Um, Here's what I know. I In the liner notes for the record, <laughs> it said, words by Robert Smith. And I oh. went, well, I'm guessing Robert Smith didn't write a new song for them. So what's 100 Years? You know, I'm terrible sometimes with song titles. But yes, 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 yes. It's, it is Excellent. a Cure song. I love this album. I highly recommend it. That's it for me. So that's all for us. It's time for us to close up the store. Uh, we really appreciate you stopping by for uh, today while we're doing our Album of the Month Club. Uh, we tend to do this once a month, and if you happen to be here while we're doing it, you are very welcome to be a fly on the wall for our conversations. And, uh, you know, if you hear the rest of the, the rest of the month, we do all kinds of fun things. We do games, we have guests, we talk to folks, you know, in-store performances. We've never had that. Maybe one day we will. That'll be nice. That'll <laughs> but, be cool. But anyway... Thanks for coming in today, but the store is officially closed. Happy trails, everyone. Until we meet again. Record Store Society is hosted by Tara Davies and Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to recordstoresociety at iheartmedia.com. Or you can find us on all your favorite social media sites with the handle at Record Store Society. Record Store Society is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Welcome to Parent Teacher Night. Oh, yes, Miss Garner. If you have one of those airline credit cards, you're probably not earning double miles on every purchase. You're right. My card only gets extra miles on some types of purchases. With the Capital One Venture Card, you earn unlimited double miles everywhere. Wait, but where can we use them? You can use Capital One Venture Miles on any travel purchase. Venture gets an A+. Capital One, what's in your wallet?
Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother Jonah. We're two siblings who love to talk about our childhood and nostalgia and how it shaped us into the people we are today. Who are extremely cool and chill, if I do say so myself. In our new podcast, How Did We Get Weird? We'll talk about our favorite snacks, shows, and obsessions from growing up with some of your favorite comedians, musicians, and other A-list celebrities. Sorry, we're major. Listen to How Did We Get Weird from Will Ferrell's Big Money Players Network. Available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Maddie and Kenzie Ziegler, and we have a podcast called Take 20. We want to kick back and hang out with you, but we know you're busy, so let's take 20 every week to talk, to vent, to get real. 20 minutes to catch up and talk about everything that's on our minds and yours. Listen with us for 20 minutes when you're in the car, putting on makeup, working out, cleaning your room, avoiding doing your homework. Take a break from whatever you have to do and hang out with us. Listen to Take 20 on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.